I thought it'd be good to open up just with a kind of a passage to stir our hearts up a little bit as we pray with so much um, so much going on, not just in this country, but in this world. Um, I think we'll be comforted by the ground tilling that we'll do as we work our way back towards our our passage in Romans 1. But I, I just wanted to read from Psalm 102. And it just really kind of captured what's been on my heart this week. Verse 25 says, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth. Just think of the magnitude of that. right? We hear those words all the time, but do we really stop and think about the magnitude of that? Right? And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish. But you, O God, says the heart of the psalmist, will remain. Very comforting words in a world that you just kind of like, is this the way it's going to be? Right? They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. I don't think it's a shock to anybody in this room that that includes us (laughs) as we speak. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. And it was verse 27 that stirred in my heart. But you are the same and your years have no end and that's true from the finite ability for us to comprehend the foundation of the world the beginning of humanity all that has occurred in humanity and everything that's occurring right now He's the same. His righteous judgments of blessings and curses have never changed over the course of all of humanity, every generation. In verse 28, the children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. And it just brings me right back to, as Ryan was saying, thanks be to God for the way Paul transitions into this passage that we're in, which today is going to get a little, um, we're going to wade into the bog a little bit of history, and it kind of makes you feel a little yucky. But Paul, of all people, in the times he was living in, as we'll see more of today, says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That was what he kept both of his hands clasped to. 
So let me open us up in prayer and then we'll go back to the scriptures a little bit. Father, we thank you for all that you are and all that scripture has revealed to us about you. Father, may we be a people who just consume your word. May it be sweet. And may it at times be bitter as you reveal the truths of humanity and the sweetness of your continuing work to prepare for yourselves a kingdom of people utterly undeserving and snatched off of this horrific downward slide of humanity. And Father, in so much more, your gift of your beloved Son as the means by which there would be a way for sinful humanity to be right with you. And as we continue to unpack this passage, we will continue to see just how desperately we needed that. And I pray how much we thank you day in and day out, moment by moment, in our worship of our daily lives. And we pray these things to our blessed triune God. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. So I wanted to, to till the ground a little bit as we walk ourselves up to Romans 1.24 and probably work our way through verse 27 this morning, Lord willing. But I, I, I continue to come back to the importance of realizing and reinforcing that it is the Bible itself that reveals to us that when the Lord snatched you off of and out of eternal damnation, we were all somewhere on this downward slide. And wherever you were, it could have been far worse, and you can just give God thanks for His mercy for every moment of your life prior to the moment he saved you. If you lived a decent life prior to your salvation, you can thank God for that. And I just want to kind of put that in perspective from the Apostle Paul to this church in Colossae. In Rome, or Colossians 1, verse 9. Let me just let this this passage fall on all of us this morning with this thought in mind as the I talked about the indicatives and the imperatives of what the indicatives what God has done and the imperatives what 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 is our rightful response to that well Paul kind of reverses that order in this passage and he gives us our rightful response he says and so from the day we heard we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom 
and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And could you just imagine the true church if she were growing in that prayer? And how much of the visible church that you can't even tell if it's the true church or the visible church because so much of it is just caught up in the world's thinking. This is what the true church is called to look like and will one day look like, right? Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. Right back to Romans 1, 16 and 17. For all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. And here comes this language that I want you to see. Who has qualified you? There's the indicative. He did it. Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Not only in the inheritance of the saints, but that we would have the light from the Word of God to know what that means. And that it would be the certainty of our hope of that future event. right? The biblical hope, not the worldly hope. The worldly hope is that hope that says, boy, I hope it goes this way, but I don't really believe it will. Biblical hope is, I am certain it's going to be that way because God says it will be. And that's what Paul is calling us to. But look at verse 13. He has delivered us from, here comes the snatch, the domain of darkness. Whether it was your experience or not, he snatched us from the domain of darkness. He snatched us right out of it and began to bring his light into us. And all of us have a different and somewhat unique testimony of how the Lord worked all that for good. Some it was months just being suffocated by sin. Others it was just a wham. Right? Like Paul, Saul, right? But every bit of it was that flicker of truth that the Father taught your dead soul brought to life. That not only are you a sinner, but I have provided my son for you. It was the Father's teaching that we believed. I hope we never get over sharing that beautiful truth because there is nothing more intimate with our triune God than that. Right? Hebrews could be closed in a way that people think that a person dead in sin is dead in sin and That's the point. Yeah. But, they, but somehow people believe that dead people can make decisions. Yep. 
And, and you have to ask why? Why is that? It's because there is a desire inherent even in the heart of the believer that is full of pride that says, I had something to do with this. When the glory alone belongs to God. And that, that's part of what we're going to see. It's exactly the pull on my heart this week of how important this is. Because as we've said before, it is in that truth understood and believed and just held dear to your heart that you will just have a heart that gives thanks be to God. Because he snatched you off of a, a slide that could have been horrific. And for some of us, it was horrific if we're honest with ourselves. And I love where Paul goes in verse 15 of this Colossians passage. Because he takes us right to the place our hearts and minds ought to go. Exactly to your point. This is the counter to that prideful thought that I had something to do with this. And we did once God did his initial work, right? But here's, here's the, if you ever ask why God, what is the purpose of all of this? Go to Colossians 1 and go to verse 15 and just let these words fall on you and you'll get your answer why. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now think about that. Firstborn of all creation, right? He was born 2,000 years ago in the flesh. But that birth in the eternal purpose was before all of mankind. There was a point in eternity's past, if you can... Uh, let slide the fact that there is no beginning and end to eternity, right? But there's a point in our finite minds that the triune God said, I'm going to, the Father said, redeem a people, undeserved. And the Son said, and I'm going to be the one who's going to die for them. And the Father said, and I am going to be well pleased. And the Spirit is going to do the work of condemning, convicting, and regenerating. So that light comes in. How more intimate can we get with our triune God? Because that was our birth, the firstborn of all creation. For Him, listen to this exaltation of our Lord. For Him, by all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. And obviously this is what puts Psalm 102 in my heart. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, and that will become very important as we begin to wade down into this bog today or next Sunday. Because God is sovereign over all of that. And that's so important. In the midst of this mess we're in, God is sovereign. And it is Christ here. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and what? For Him. Now there's the key. For Him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And when they don't seem to be holding together, he's holding them together and keeping them from going where they will go in the end. Right? 
all the chaos that we see, he's still restraining that. Now there's a scary thought, is it not? And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And we'll come back to that in a moment because it's such an important statement. But here comes the kind of magnet statement of this passage. That in everything he might be preeminent. And there it is. That it would be my beloved Son, humble yourself before Him. He's the preeminent one. Such a beautiful exaltation. For Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things. Not just the good things, all things. Right? whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And I know there's been, you know, was it the blood? Was it the cross? You cannot separate the two. Because God didn't. Let me put it this. It was a bloody cross. And that's the way God purposed it. And the reason for that gore was for us. That's what we deserved when they snatched us off of that road to judgment, right? Just a sidebar, not going to go too far, but that is very important to me as a former Roman Catholic because every single Mass in the Roman Catholic Church this morning, which there are millions of, claim to be, as the priest, having the power to bring Christ down off of his throne in submission to that priest and sacrificing him again in every one of those Masses. And the canon law literally says, and is necessary for the propitiation of sin and that sacrifice is being conducted in a unbloody manner that is transubstantiation that is what is going on in every Roman Catholic Church right now a continuing sacrifice of Jesus Christ necessary for the propitiation of sin now what does that suggest not suggest but strongly tell you the Roman Catholic system believes about the cross of Christ. Is it finished? Was it sufficient? Does it truly cleanse and save to the uttermost, as the writer of Hebrews beautifully says? No. And that, my dear brothers, is why we must be faithful to these truths with our Roman Catholic and anybody else deceived by their religion. But there's a good example. We had better learn their religions if we're going to witness truly into their lives. That is a shameful heresy about this preeminent one, right? Verse 21, And you who were once, here we come, 
We were, we were the were once of a, all the things that we're about to study, if I ever get there. This morning, anyway. Who, and you, who once were alienated and what? Hostile in mind. Now, there's a bit of a pride killer, isn't it? Should be. Doing evil deeds. He has now, and the reason that we might have a hard time realizing and understanding that in our own experience is we have no idea what it means to look upon a holy God. Look at what was the cause of the fall of humanity. That was a holy God. The evil was to simply, as we would think, disobey God about the fruit. That was the evil that plunged the entire human race into this fallen state. That is, that is a holy God we don't often think about when we give a pass to what has been titled prior to our comfortable sins. Right? We can't lose sight that He's a holy God. And if you ever feel like you're losing sight of that, God gave us the means by which we can be snapped back to reality. You know what it is? It's that bloody cross with His preeminent, beloved Son on it. Hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has, praise be to God, now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you, Ryan, holy and blameless. And only God can do that because it is the righteousness of Christ that is imputed to you. It is not mere you, <laughs> is it? Blameless and above reproach before him. That just, you can't get your human head around that. But there's going to come that day. If indeed, and here's the warning, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And it makes me think about John 8, 31 and 32, where the Lord, after two and a half years of seeing disciples come and go, come and go, and become enemies and become enemies. He says, if you are truly my disciples, you will abide in my word. That's the mark. And we ought to mark it in society. That is the mark. Look at how many things go on in the name of God, in the name of church, in the name of Christianity that have the opposite of what the Bible prescribes for our worship. And Jesus says, if you're truly my disciple, as that road gets wider, there's another road getting narrower, and it's the road of Psalm 19, making wise the simple, narrow ones. I 
I want to read from James Montgomery Boyce. I thought his comments on this was so poignant. Jesus Christ offers himself lifted up on the cross to redeem us from the curse of the law. By becoming a curse on our behalf, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Galatians 3.13 in the KJV. And here's, people know their deed. People know their need. They may try to forget it. They may try to deny it. They may try to drown their sense of it by drink and dissipation or by wild pleasure seeking or wild money getting or by listening to fake preachers in supposedly orthodox pulpits. Those itching ears that Paul talks about. Those fake preachers are in those pulpits because the people in the seats called them to that pulpit to scratch their itching ears. That's why they're there. Because the people were given over to the world. <laughs> but in spite of all of our attempts to drown or stupefy or silence our sense of sin, our consciousness of guilt before a holy God, we all have it. And this is this is another entry point into our evangelization, a very personal evangelization of people. Because what Dr. Boyce brings out is precisely what the scriptures bring out. If you have a loved one who is unsaved, they may have mastered the art of masquerading that they're fine, but they are not. Because God makes sure of it. And underneath all that hardness is a heart and a soul that knows they are not right. And like Banquo's ghost from Macbeth, it will not quiet down. Nothing gives the guilty conscience abiding peace but the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. And part of the strongholds we have to deal with are all the things that they consume and surround themselves that make them think they're at peace. They're placebos of the most deadly kind. And isn't the false church full of them? So Christ, lifted up, draws all men unto him, all. And even wicked ministers of Satan sometimes come to their senses, we know why, and flee to the real Christ, Christ crucified, as I hope they all may. And that's what I love about Boyce. He's so wonderfully informative and studied, but he is always evangelistic, always. Happy the man or woman who yields to that drawing and when he says all will be drawn all will be drawn some will come to christ some will walk away from that drawing that god leaves them without excuse with and this is what dr boyce says woe be to the man or woman who resists that drawing and you know them you've encountered them we all have them if we've been faithful in our witness and some of them came right up to the cross and said, 
No, thank you. I'll do it on my own. I don't need that. And I sure don't need the God that you say put him there. Final gloom, despondency and despair are their lot. Despondency. Can you see that in our society? Have you not seen so many people just like, hello? Are, is your mind even, do you not see? They don't. They don't. Okay, you guys got to hurry up. I'm not even off first page yet. Okay, so, so I want to just kind of lift us up out of that, and then we're going to go back down into the bog. Re Revelations 4, 9 through 11, I think, permeates this preeminent one so beautifully. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor, this beautiful scene of worship, and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, so lovely to see him seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, this one that Paul just talked about in Colossians, the 24 elders fell down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever, the worship in heaven. And here's the part I want you to see. All these crowns, that are given over the course of our life, straight out of Ephesians 2.10, right? That God purposed for us so that we would walk into them. What do they do with them? <laughs> they cast their crowns before the throne. Now there is a passage to think about. It was all you. That's the point. And nothing will raise your worship every moment of the day more than that realized truth in your heart. It was all you, Lord. Saying, worthy are you, O our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And then a few verses later, Revelations 5, 13 and 14, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And again, the elders fell down and worshiped. You see the point? This is all about how we worship. Now, I want to just, we've kind of worked our way up to verse 24, and I think it would be very helpful for us to just read from 24 through the end of this first chapter again. And I want you to just look at this series of state of living and the cause, because you get this state of living cause, consequence, all the way through this. And there's two or three of them in this passage. And, and most see it as, a, as this, and I think that is correct from a societal perspective. 
But from a human perspective, I think it goes like this, because you have some that are in this one, some that are in this one, and a whole bunch that are in this one. And I think you'll see what I mean when I read this. Verse 24 says, therefore, right? Which takes us right back to, although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God. And they became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. The cause for that was claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, idolatry. Elevating anything but God is the cause of this verse 24. Therefore, because of all of that, God gave them up to something else. To the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, and to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And here we have the cause of that. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And you see there that it's the same message. It is the worship of God that is absolutely atrocious to God. Through the hardening heart of man that God then turns him over. Just like Pharaoh. That's why he gave us such a precise, prominent example of Pharaoh. Ten times, right? The patience and forbearance of God. He hardened his heart and then God hardened his heart. To the point where Pharaoh was in such a state of delusion, he thought he could defeat God. Which is right where Satan is today if you really look at the passage. Here comes another wave. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And now we have some introduction of new and very important language that we'll unpack today and next Sunday, Lord willing. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged, pay attention to it, natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Very important. And the men, likewise, gave up, here it comes again, natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now there's something new as well. In verse 24 and 25, what we see is a God-given beautiful gift to the husband and to the wife in their intimacy. A God-given gift, perfectly natural adulterated between another man and woman outside of the marriage covenant. That's this first one. And 
And what a powerful one it's been, right? There isn't a person in this room who cannot speak to the absolute destruction of families being shattered from this, right? I'll draw again from Dr. Boyce on this. He just was such a comforting companion as I waited. Um, he says, sexuality is a perfectly lovely and natural part of the relationship between a husband and a wife. Is it not? It's, it's beautiful. So much so that he compares the husband and the wife to what? Him and his bride. Right? Are we holding our marriages like that? I pray. Sexuality is a perfectly lovely and natural part of the relationship between a husband and a wife. This sin, in verse 24 and 5, describes taking what is natural and God-given and perverting its purity through the sin of adultery between unmarried man and woman and in a casual arrangement. At this point, through the sexuality being described is still natural, but a violation of the moral law. Very important in this sequence, right? And just a horrific sidebar. The explosion of pornographic sites is measured by the explosion of subscribers to those pornographic sites. And it is throughout the entire world a horrendous perversion. That's what's unique about our time. Because these things can get produced by a monster, victimizing young women, men, boys, girls, and they can have it around the world like that and have countless people consuming it. That alone is a judgment of God and a horrific perversion of society. Let me just read 26 and 7. And then we'll come back next week. For this reason, all of that, right? Maybe just, a, I mean, let's be honest. We, we, Tina and I try to watch the Hallmark Channel. I mentioned it a couple weeks ago, right? And, and as I was studying this passage, you begin to see how we are being so just programmed to accept this sin. The casual arrangements 
that are glorified on virtually everything our eyes lay witness to in the media. Just trying to despondency, deadness to it all. And the more we become comfortable with that, the farther away that holy God becomes. Right? And I'm not so sure what to do about that. There's times I want to take our little glory and just walk her up. Right? But the monasteries tell us how that worked out. Right? I don't know if to laugh or cry, Judy. Really. Verse 26, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up their natural relations and women were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. And that is the next step is we now become perfectly comfortable as a society with what is utterly unnatural. This one's not according to the law written. This is according to what God has put in our very soul and nature. So we'll come back next week to dive into this just a little bit more. But I want to just read an extract that kind of wades us into this with the desire to really make our hearts prayerful. This is an article posted in the Huffington Post by a man named Michael Hobbs titled The Epidemic of Gay Loneliness. Gay Loneliness. These are just six points I took away from this very difficult article to read. And what I hope it will do for us is make us prayerful and heartbroken Because the natural tendency is to look at this and look at them and look down upon them as if we weren't on the same slide, if not be for the mercy of God. This is the life. Regarding society's embracement of the homosexual movement, even as we celebrate the scale and speed of this change, the rates of depression, loneliness, and substance abuse in the gay community remain stuck in the same place they've been for decades, and it is a horrific place. He says, we are somewhere between twice and ten times more likely to commit suicide and probably 20 to 30 times more likely to attempt suicide. We are two times more likely to have prolonged and major depressive episodes, often fueled by prolonged use of meth and other hard drugs. Three-fourths of the 
male homosexual community suffer from anxiety or depression, abuse drugs and alcohol, or were having and seeking risky sex, or some combination of all three, three-fourths of these men. Now, I want to just intensify this. The vast majority of children that are attending public school in this country are not just being indoctrinated into this. They are being dragged into it, lured into it. These lifestyles, what is that? We see it in our tiny little Bible Belt community on the playground. It's glamorous for these kids to be sucked into this, this lifestyle. Travis Salway, last point, I promise, a researcher, social worker, and epidemiologist discovered, and a gay man, that in addition to the high rates of suicide and depression, the gay lifestyle was also revealing much higher rates of cardiovascular disease, cancer, incontinence, dysfunctions of every kind, allergies, and asthma. And this is what is unique about this particular passage. Where you read verse 27b, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves, in them, the due penalty of their error. God will not be mocked. And it's the church's responsibility to make that God known in the face of a lifestyle that within one year of a young man entering, he will have three of the five sexually transmitted diseases, one of which, according to the CDC website, will ultimately be the cause of his death. That's what we're luring our children into. It's horrific. And we shouldn't turn our head the other way to it. It is, as Tina and I talk, if they're going to come at our glory with that kind of veracity, we're going to come at our glory with the same kind of loving veracity as that. It's not a passive process anymore. We have to run head at teaching natural and unnatural, holy God and judgment upon sin and the slippery slope of sin. Right? So next week, we're going to go back in time. Just so we know, that there is nothing new under the sun at all. Okay, So we'll pick that back up next week.
what I'm saying, because you got you got it over here, and you'll turn this way. So if you put it in front, it may pick up more. <laughs> 